listening to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us again today on Mental Selling. I'm Will Milano with Integrity Solutions, and we're very pleased to have our guest today be our second guest from the United Kingdom, helping us make this a truly global podcast. Her name is Lee Ashton. Lee, thanks very much for being with us today. I'm absolutely delighted to be with you today, especially as I've worked closely with Integrity Solutions for on a couple of projects. So that's really, really great to be with you and to join in your podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. So Lee is, by way of introduction, she's the founder of the Sales Consultancy there in the UK. And for over 30 years, Lee has had a passion for developing sales growth mindset cultures and creating empowering sales leaders and transforming sales teams. So Lee, you're obviously a tremendous fit for this podcast, which is all about the mental side of selling and helping salespeople and sales leaders have the mindset that's going to help them succeed. So let's jump right in. And the first thing I I wanted to ask you, fairly broad question, but what do you see as the biggest psychological barriers today that for a salesperson reaching their their full potential? What are some of the things that are holding them back? I think the biggest thing, Will, is that is a person's perception of themselves. So we're talking about beliefs. We're talking about the way in which they think other people perceive them. You know, the stories that they tell themselves in their heads. And so the way that a person perceives themselves actually will either allow them to strive and thrive and achieve great things or it will set a ceiling or create a container that they actually believe they cannot go beyond. So it's it's really about the story that somebody tells themselves in their mind. For me, it's the biggest barrier. It's the inner stuff. And, and I think it's really important to say that It doesn't matter how much skills training you give a salesperson or a sales leader, because you know if the even if the trainer, the facilitator is amazing and the content is amazing, if that person fundamentally believes on the inside that yeah, it's all right for them, but I couldn't do that, then they're just not going to roll that out. They're not even going to try to do some of the things. And if they do try, it's half-hearted and it doesn't go according to the story that they would like to see because their own story is more powerful than that. So that that directly ties to the next thing I, I, I wanted to ask you, which is, so sometimes you'll hear, I've heard the question or posed as a statement really regarding developing salespeople is, you know, well, someone's either motivated and have, they, they either have the right mental makeup or they don't. You can't train for that. You can't coach it. Is that true or false from your perspective? 
Oh, it's absolutely false. And science has proved this. Neuroscience has, you know, knows that we have something called neuroplasticity, neuroplasticity, which means that we can always continue to learn. And the more we learn, the more we're able to learn. So if someone is not motivated, I'm sorry to say that it's normally the culture or the leader that isn't actually inspiring that person in the right way. And in my experience, the success of a team is more dependent on the skill of the leader because even if the culture of the organisation isn't so great, the skill of the leader can actually be the buffer so that their team can still thrive and grow. So do I believe anyone can be motivated in the given the right leadership and the right skills? Absolutely. And there's also the whole concept around growth mindset, which I'm sure, you know, Many of you listening to this podcast will have come across, you know, the grandmother of growth mindset is our Carol Dweck, who studied children initially to find out how is it that some children learn really easily and some children really struggle to learn. And the difference was the children that had a growth mindset behaved differently to the children that had a fixed mindset. And someone with a fixed mindset is telling themselves a story that they can't do X, Y, or Z because they're not made that way. Whereas a child with a growth mindset, their story is, well, if I make a mistake, I'll just learn from it and I'll try again. You know, they're always looking for experiences and they have a determination to keep trying until they find a way. So... I think that given the right environment and the right leadership, every person that wants to be a successful salesperson can absolutely achieve that. And, and as you were saying, that, that growth mindset, part of that is not having a fear of failure, right? Being Having that, and we'll get into the idea of resilience a little bit later, but that idea of it's okay if I stumble and fall because I'm learning along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And we're also going to talk in a little bit about what you were saying as far as the the critical importance of the sales leader and developing that leader. Before we get into that, so related to what you were just saying, when it comes to mindset and growth mindset and things like sales training, you know, onboarding new salespeople, developing experienced salespeople, are there incorrect assumptions that companies make? Um, I the the most common assumptions that companies make incorrectly is that we've delivered the training, therefore they will now do it. So <laughs> that's a deluded assumption, right? Because like they just check the box, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's one assumption. The other assumption is the training is great, so they will do it. You know, they miss out the mindset piece. And, you know, it's true also with mindset. Well, we've developed their mindset. We've sent them on a growth mindset development program. Therefore, they're going to continue to do it. When we talk about leadership, I'll talk about the makeup of a sales team. But some sales people will most definitely take it and run with it. 
but most won't without continued interventions from the leader or some kind of support mechanism. So an assumption that would really inhibit an organisation's growth is to think that a training on its own is the, the end of the story. It is just step one of a multi-step process that takes a person from where they are to where you'd like them to be. Right. And that's an ongoing, it really never ends. It never ends. Right. And you talk about, at minimum, you talk about, say, sales onboarding, which some companies will do for a couple of days, or maybe it's a couple of weeks, or a lot of them will say like, oh, well, you know, what are we doing the first 90 days? Right. But it's got to go way beyond that. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, it, it, it all comes back to the sales leader and the and the, the development strategy, like you said. So let's talk about the resilience concept because I've, I've seen you write about this a lot. It's a, you know, resilience is a common description for good salespeople, right? They've got to be resilient in the face of rejection and, and things like that. And that seems to point to the mental aspect, the mental side of selling more than anything. How do you, how do you think a resilient sales team or salesperson comes to be? I think you're more likely to get resilience. I mean, there will be people who are naturally resilient. You know, the naturally growth mindset individuals will be resilient because they see that as part of their development journey, if you like. But resilience most often happens when there's psychological safety to make mistakes. So no one wants to make a mistake. You know, we don't go out of our way to make mistakes, but life isn't kind every day of our lives. You know, life gives us challenges to grow us to the next chapter. So, you know, we have to get 100% of the chapter that we're at, and that makes us ready to step up to the next chapter. Now, if you have an organisation that doesn't like is very like a blame culture for exact for example something goes wrong and they want someone to blame something goes wrong and there's going to be one of those conversations someone goes wrong and someone gets fired you know it can be as drastic as that and in sales there's a lot of life and death situations you either get the deal or you don't get the deal right that's the name it's very binary yes That's the name of the game. But, you know, someone could give a thousand percent to get in that deal over the line and done absolutely everything right. And then something out of their control means that they don't get the deal. So in an organization where there's no psychological safety, people hide their mistakes. People, you can't obviously hide something that like a deal not getting over the line, but people hide their mistakes and therefore nobody gets to learn from that mistake. So people keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again and the organisation can't figure out why this keeps happening. So resilience comes with psychological safety, leaders that are skilled at giving feedback in a way that it can be received and understood and actioned. So I think you get 
resilience in some people naturally, but you can cultivate resilience by creating an infrastructure where people say, you know what, I'm really struggling with this. I know I should be able to do it, but I'm really struggling. Or I screwed up that meeting because I was really nervous because that guy was really senior. And I feel intimidated by people who are like C-level. And and if people don't feel safe to say that, they'll never get the help they need to overcome that challenge. So that challenge keeps repeating itself over and over and over again. And as you alluded to earlier, it all comes back to the sales leader, right? That aspect of developing and having psychological safety, which I'm glad you brought up because we actually, on our last episode, episode 35, we talked with our guests quite a bit about the idea of psychological safety and and sales leaders. So it's great that you're reinforcing the same idea, but it, it that's where it all emanates from, right? The culture, which is again, based on the sales leader and what he or she is, is developing and, and enforcing with the team. Yeah, for sure. You know, all roads lead to the leader. I'm sorry if you're a leader. It's a, it's a big responsibility being a sales leader. It really is. It's like you think that you're stepping up the ladder in your career. And actually, it's like when I became a sales leader, after having been a really, really successful salesperson, it was for the, the first time in my life I actually felt like a failure because I couldn't, I couldn't get people to do, yeah, not all of my team, to do the things that I knew were really great ideas. I'd share my ideas and... And like people would go, oh, that's greatly. And some people would go and do it. Oh, that's greatly. And some people would go and just carry on doing what they were doing before. And some people would go, that won't work for my territory. And I couldn't figure out. And I, you know, I remember sitting in front of my boss saying, am I rubbish at this job? <laughs> well, and it's, a, it's a steep learning curve for sales leaders, just like it is for a new salesperson, right? Because it's a brand new and Again, we'll get into some of the sales leadership specific things in a few minutes, but it's a totally different job, right? And that's often what new sales leaders struggle with is the fact that they haven't just sort of moved up the ladder a bit, that they've totally pivoted what their career is all about. For sure. And and sadly, I think that in many organizations, sales leaders are really underinvested in in terms of leadership development, especially when they've been a really great sales person in terms of success. They're just expected to know what to do for some. That's another misconception. That's another thing that, that organizations get wrong. So let's jump ahead a little bit because I, I don't want to lose this this thread. So how does mindset impact the person who has been that quote unquote top sales performer, but now she or he has been elevated into a, a sales leadership role? So for people that are in those roles today that are listening or those that aspire to be, you know, maybe years from now, what does what is being a good sales leader in 2022 look like? So before I answer that question, I'm just going to share something that will give this my response some context. There is something that I have observed called the 10-80-10 rule. Now, the 10-80-10 rule, it, I can't find any scientific or research or anything about this. It's not like, you know, you hear about the Pareto principle, which is 
80-20. But every time I share this with a sales leader, and there are other people that have blogged about this, uh, they go, yes, they everyone recognizes it when I share it. And this is the 10-80-10 rule, a la Lee Ashton's version. And that is you have 10% of your sales team who are your top performers. They are, they just really are amazingly good at bringing in sales and in a way that's aligned to the company's values. They do everything right. These are the guys at the top who are naturally growth mindset. In fact, they don't really need a leader. You know, they could have Mickey Mouse as their leader and they would still do it because they are driven that way. Their growth mindset and they're driven to keep evolving Whether and they're resilient. They've got all the characteristics of growth mindset. So you've got this 10% at the top. Then you've got 10% at the bottom who, for some reason or another, have checked out, basically. They've either feel they've been violated or they have lost heart or they think this isn't the job for me. And they've checked out already. But sales leaders often like to save these people because they're doing so badly. And you can't. You absolutely can't save them. They have to decide to save themselves, to commit to stay and do the things they need to do to succeed. So that's your 10% at the bottom. And it's the 80% in the middle who want to be successful because they can see those people above them. And yet they haven't got the qualities. You know, there'll be probably a mix of fixed and growth mindset depending on what activities uh, you're looking at. And these are the guys that need leadership to step outside of their comfort zone, metaphorically hold their hand, watch their back and help them with each step. Because if you leave them to it and it doesn't quite go well, which let's face it, if you're doing a new approach, if you're taking a new approach, it's unlikely to go perfectly the first time. It's a bit clunky. And and you need that sales leader to reassure you to keep going with it. So you need so the 80% in the middle need a sales leader and they need a good sales leader who is going to do the right thing by each of those people dependent on their personality. Now, the 10% at the top who are amazing are the ones that get promoted to sales leadership. They cannot understand the thinking of an 80% team member because it's so alien to them and they resonate with the top players and they go I want a team of top players you know why don't they just do it and I go they don't right, that, like why don't they just do it because they're not you then they don't think like you they don't feel like you they're not driven like you Therefore, you have to use a different approach. So you've got these amazing sales people promoted to sales leadership, trying to lead people who have an immunity to change. The, the analogy I would I would insert there that that I I've heard and, and used here in the states is like in sport in sports and professional sports. I'm sure it's the same in say like the Premier League and soccer. The best coaches and managers are not the ones that most often are not the ones who are the superstars. They were sort of the mid-tier performers because like you said, the top performers are going to go out there and just be like, well, just do what I did. <laughs> and they can't relate. Yeah. You know, and in fact, the England 
manager here in the UK is the person that missed the penalty that lost them the European Championship. You know, Gareth Southgate, he, he, he got some real stick and he's a fantastic manager. You know, he really is because he gets what it's what it's like to feel intimidated, to not feel 100% sure, to get it wrong. You have to be compassionate to these things. Yeah, you have to be empathetic, right? And 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 not in any sort of negative way, but sometimes that top top ten percent, they just can't have that that empathy because they hadn't that hadn't been their experience. No, no, it's alien to them, and that's why where I got caught out, and in a it changed my life because in that desire, because I was naturally growth mindset. I went off to find out how do I fix this thing? And it led me down the path of psychology, which I've made my career since 95, you know. And And sales is very psychological. (laughs) Yeah, it really, really is. A sales leader has to be not only a sales leader, they have to be an aunt or an uncle, a coach, a counsellor, a therapist, an arm, an ear, they have to, you know, just be all things to that person because unless that person is in a good state internally, they can't show up as their best self in the world of sales. And sales is not the easiest of paths. If you're going to choose a career path uh, and you want an easy one, sales is not it. You know, (laughs) you have to be... That you have to have that extra sparkle. I'm not saying you have to be an extrovert because actually Daniel Pink in his book said the best salespeople are what you call ambiverts, which is the like on this on the continuum, you've got extrovert and introvert. They're the ones in the middle who know when to be outgoing, who know when to call it back. And so it's about where's your what's your sparkly fairy dust that that lights you up on the inside that's what you need and that's also what a lot of newly promoted sales leaders don't get at the beginning right they're often left to their own devices to just well you're you're the leader now go out there and and lead and they don't have any real context for what that means that's absolutely spot on and and it's really a challenge you know because And that's why I wrote my last book for leaders, because all the years I've been working with organizations, I've realized it didn't matter how much growth mindset development I did with sales teams. If the leader didn't get what they needed, then they wouldn't create that culture that would enable the sales team to succeed. Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a trickle down effect one way or the other, right? (laughs) Positively or negatively. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So something else I wanted to ask you about is we we talked a lot on this podcast about salespeople needing to be great listeners. And not just from the sales process standpoint of, okay, when, you know, a prospect says this, ask this, but from the standpoint, from, from having a genuine curiosity and desire to help customers. So when it comes to mindset, and selling, how do salespeople become better listeners? Well, it's interesting because you talk about listening and caring and curiosity. 
And curiosity is one of the distinctions that Carol Dweck has for growth mindset. And I think the desire to help the customer is also another aspect of a distinction that Carol Dweck makes, which is collaboration, because actually you're collaborating with your customer to take them from where they are to where you need to get to, but you can't help them if you don't listen. So the easy answer to what helps salespeople to be better listeners is to shut up. So to ask a question and then keep zipped and just listen to the response. Now, this on its own isn't the answer because you will probably know, Will, that even when someone is listening, it doesn't mean that they hear. They can be listening and at the same time plotting what their next move is. Right. While the, while the person's giving their answer, all they're doing is thinking ahead to the next question, right? Thinking ahead to the next question. So they may have heard the first bit that triggered a thought, And also, in that triggering of that thought, they're now plotting their next move. So they don't hear what come after that. Because if only you can either, you can listen or you, you know, you're not listening. To do two things, those two things, particularly at the same time, does not equal half listening. It it, it really, the result is no listening because you've only got a part of the picture. So I have something that I'd like to share with you that is such a fantastic way of keeping you engaged in what the person is saying. And that is something called rapid repeat. So you can do this while you're listening to me, if you like. As I'm talking, I want you to repeat in your mind a fraction of a second after me what I'm saying. So as I'm saying it, you're repeating that in your mind. Don't say it out loud because people will think you're very, very strange. But, you know, what you'll find as you listen to me is that you are getting closer and closer to my dictation, if you like, what I'm saying. in, And it feels a little bit like you're reading my mind because we're almost in sync as you listen to me. Now, why does this work? It takes both your conscious and your unconscious mind to do that activity. So when someone's talking, you're listening, but also you're processing what they say, which stops your mind from plotting, scheming, thinking about the next step. And then you are so totally present and engaged that the next question comes naturally from what they have just shared with you. And that is a sign of a good listener. And quite honestly, my, you know, people think that your knowledge of your service or product is what gives you credibility, but it is not your credibility is determined by the quality of your questions and the quality of your questions is determined by the quality of your listening. And rapid repeat is a technique that you can use to stay engaged. Are you still listening and to what are you still repeating what I'm saying? 
I have been. I've been doing it, as you said, because it's it's great for me. I know. It's really hard to stop doing it at first. <laughs> well, it's helpful because, you know, leading this, this podcast, I have to look at a couple of things as we're going and making sure everything technically is working. And I, I do have to think a bit about, like, where are we going next? But it, it does ground you when you do that sort of three-second delay sort of repeat of what you're saying, that sort of everything else fades away and you're just in the, in the moment. And I think it's, it, it's something that a lot of sales training and sales coaching, they talk about the questions to ask, but they don't train for how to actually really listen and take in the answers. And that, that's, that's an aspect that's missing. And again, that's, a, that's not a skill. That's a, that's a will and a sort of attitudinal aspect. That's, that's missing in a lot of cases, right? Yeah, oh, for sure. You know, and, and having that desire to help the customer means that you have to listen. And, and I think that it's really easy, especially as a new salesperson or maybe you're, you're not quite experienced or nailed it yet, it's really easy to be focused on yourself you know, am I saying the right things? Am I doing the right things? I wonder what they're thinking right now. You know, it's so easy to go off into your storyland. And it takes determination and practice to avoid that danger zone. Because once you go into that zone, you can't think of the other person or the other people that you're speaking with, because you're constantly thinking about what's going on for you. And I think that that, and you were alluding to this. I think that you know, true listening is a, is coming from the mental place, coming from the deep emotional place of actually genuinely wanting to help somebody, right, and uncover their needs. It's 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 those things that requires listening. It's not just like I've got to get across the finish line. I've got to win this. I've got to make sure I get to the next step. Because again, it's that makes it all about you versus about them. Yeah, I think listening comes from the heart, whereas logic comes from the mind. And we now know that the the body has three brains, one in your head, one in your heart, and one in your gut, which is why we have gut feeling, we get broken hearted, you know, it, and the science has proved that we've got these three brains. 80% is done in the mind. So it's very important that we do use our minds in, in making decisions. But true wisdom comes when you incorporate the brain in your heart and in your gut, because there's an alignment. So have you ever wanted to do something? Or maybe your leader or your boss has asked you to do something. You think that just doesn't feel right for me to do that, you know, get that deal over the line, they might be saying, you know, but they're not ready yet. My client's not ready to sign. They need to get these other things in place. And they're pushing you. And your logic says, if I don't do this, I'm going to get into trouble. And you do it. And then you shatter the trust that you had with that particular client. And then you might never get that deal. Or that idea, you know, the sales leader just saying, well, just make more calls. Make more calls, send more emails, have more have more meetings. It's that's easy to say, but that's that's it's not really helpful from the the rep's perspective, right? Because you're not getting to that why. Yeah, you know. And when a salesperson really understands the customer, they know if it's right or not. So we're going to transition gradually to the the sales leadership aspect. But one of the things that that really crosses over when we talk about great salespeople and 
and sales leaders is around goal setting. And how do you think sales leaders need to come at goal setting for salespeople? And as far as having their involvement and having them have a a say and a stake in the goals that are being set versus something that's just being handed down from on high. Here's your goal for the year. Here's your goal for the quarter. What should that look like so that the salesperson ultimately is A, motivated and B, set up to actually reach those goals? I think it's really important that you win the hearts of minds of the people in your team as a leader. And the only way that you can do that is go on the journey with them. This isn't about you taking them on a journey with you. It's about you joining their journey, going to the point where they are at. And yes, you know, most organizations will give you a quota, a target to achieve in a certain, in a period. So if you're in sales, you probably have got that. But that doesn't mean that the leader just leaves it there. So for me, coaching is a really important part of leadership. Someone less experienced, you might have a coaching conversation that is, okay, so what's your plan to achieve this target? What's in place? What could get in the way? How are you going to manage that? You know, coaching so that they come up with their own plan and their own solution. Because any human being is more invested in the success of their own plan than one that is given to them. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And so if you've got someone who's really experienced who always achieves quota, the coaching conversation might be, look, we know you're going to get quota this year, but what's your target for you? How much over this quota do you want to get? What's your target? What, you know, share with me your plan of how you're going to do this. So that segues perfectly into what I wanted to ask you next, which is around coaching. So let's get deeper into coaching and what sales, what it should look like for sales leaders today. How should they be coaching? What, you know, where's the time and focus best spent? How, how often should they be coaching one-on-one? Can you talk about some of those things? Yeah. My view is that where the person let, let me start. Let's just rewind that a little bit. There is difference between coaching and mentoring. Somebody who doesn't know what they don't know may need some input of how something is done. In my experience, most salespeople know what they should be doing and they're not doing it. And that's why coaching is really, really essential. And it's not something that you just do at a given time. I think as a leader, it is your duty to be coaching all of the time. So if you have a conversation with someone in your team, ask them questions, ask them how they're going to do it and always be listening. So it's a bit like a customer conversation where you're asking questions and the customer is responding. That is what you do. So this isn't like, Coaching isn't, I need to find time to do it. It's you need to integrate coaching into everything that you do with every person in your team. And it could be you do what I call touchline coaching, which is 
in the moment you see something and you go, wow, that was really a great interaction. You know, what do you think was the quality that made that so great? You know, so that that person understands their own behavior, which can often be unconscious when someone does something really well, they do it naturally. And a question is like, what was it? Take me through that. So I really want to know how you did that so that that person then can break it down into their head and repeat that great behavior over and over. If someone, you know, has a bit of a disaster, then you say, okay, share with me what happened. You know, what have you learned from this? A leader should be coaching all the time. Every interaction is a coaching interaction. Every opportunity, and yes, you will do one-to-one, but coaching for me isn't looking at KPIs. That's a performance kind of coaching. The kind of coaching that shifts behaviours is, you know, how do you feel just before you do that activity? What stops you doing that activity? You know, if it's a particular activity that you know is really important, what, you know, what is it that's getting in the way for them? Coaching performance and focusing on KPIs is an essential part of the job, but it's so small because they know their frigging numbers. You haven't got to go through the numbers. They know their numbers already. And, and that's really more managing than coaching, right? Which, again, you know, managing is part of the sales leader's job too, but it's not coaching. It's different. It's totally different. So every opportunity you get to create that light bulb moment in somebody's mind where there is darkness, you must make that an absolute duty of your leadership. And I think the way you've described it is really good. It aligned one of our leaders at Integrity Solutions. She talks about how coaching moments exist every day because I think oftentimes sales leaders have this misnomer that coaching needs to be some long 60, 90 minute scheduled one-on-one sort of thing. And it and those times are valuable when you can do them, right? But coaching moments that can be by phone or by Zoom, whatever it might be, can be over dinner at the end of, of a day for a couple minutes or, you know, five minutes to just sort of recap what went on and what they were thinking, you know, that sort of thing. Those, those opportunities, they can exist by text, right? <laughs> yeah, honestly, for sure. You know, I've had moments and I use this technique a lot, especially if I know the person is a reflector or if I ask a question openly in a room where there are lots of people listening where actually everyone could benefit. I might ask a question, you know, we might be, Something may have happened and I'll go, what would you do differently next time? And they go to start and tell me, well, I'm not going, no, 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 no. I don't want the answer right now. I want you to go away and think about that. What would you do differently next time? And sometimes they try to tell you and I go, no, 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 no. Honestly, I just want you to go away and think about it. And that has an enormous impact on them really because – we live in such a fast world that we're skimming along the surface and we rarely go deep. So it's like me saying, no, no, I don't want the surface answer. I want you to go, I want you to drill down and find some meaning in this for you that will change the way you think about it. Right. You're posing something for them to reflect upon. You're not quizzing them for the quote, you know, right answer. Yeah. So give, give them that time to reflect on it and, and, and come back with what they, and it might be you're asking them, 
it could be after a really good customer interaction, right? Saying what what would you do differently next time is not a you screwed this up. It can be something that went really well, but there still might be some aspect of it that they would do differently the next time. So that, that's a really great example of what good coaching should look like. And I, and I think your idea of embracing, you know, the moments and, and seizing, you know, every opportunity every day, it is. And that's, and that's got to be a mindset aspect of the sales leader, right? That they're constantly looking for those moments. That's a shift for them. It really is. You've got to be, the way that I think about it is, what's the most important thing or the most important question I could ask right now that would help this person to grow? What does this person need in this moment? And that's going to be different. So it may be a question. It may be an action from me. It's like, what is the most important thing that would enable this person to grow? Because I believe that we our lives are like a book and we're all at different chapters of the book. So when I, I'm called into an organisation and say, we want a team of A players and I say, well, let me tell you, no one can give you a team of A players because everybody is at different chapters. Can they be A players at whatever chapter they are at? Absolutely they can. But you can't have a team of people who are all at chapter 50 smashing the ball out of the park because they're not all at chapter 50 and you can't be at chapter 10 and act like someone at chapter 50 because you need to embrace and learn from each chapter and that makes you ready for the next one. So every chapter gives you something that makes you ready for the next chapter. So in all, for your job as a leader is to help them get to 100% of whatever chapter they're at so they can go on to the next one. Right. It's about maximizing that individual's capability. What is he or she capable of? And that's different for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Someone who's new has very different leadership requirements to someone who's one of your top 10 percenters. One of your top 10 percenters, you just go, great job, and just let them get on with what they do best. Yeah, get out of their way, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So one of the things that I've, I've read of yours, which I thought was really interesting, was about the difference between great and not so good sales leaders. Could you articulate a bit what, what you define that the differences there? Yeah. Somebody who is a great leader, for me, is a compassionate leader, a leader that cares about their team a leader who leaves their ego at the door. And, you know, I'm not, just to be very clear, an ego is not a bad thing. We all have an ego and it drives us, but it's very dangerous if you allow your ego to make decisions because your ego does what's best for you, not what's best for the greater good. So you'll find that really great leaders are very good at, leaving their ego to one side when making decisions about their team, about what's what's right for the greater good, not what's right about making them look great. Uh, lead, great leaders are amazing coaches. They ask questions and they really, really listen. So it grieves me to say that great leaders are quite rare. And I've been in this game since 85, I went into sales. 
And I still remember all the great leaders that I've come across in that time, including my own sales manager who really inspired me when I was new in the game of sales. So it is quite rare. Leaders that I would say, rather than saying not so good, leaders that are at the other end of the continuum focus on themselves, focus on their own light shining, focus, blame people in their team for poor performance. They never take responsibility or hold themselves accountable for the performance of their team, seeing it as a failing in the team rather than a failing in their own leadership. Now, that's worst case scenario, right? They will be, they will definitely not have psychological safety. They are probably quite rude to people, shout at people. They make people feel worse than they should be feeling. They have a negative impact on the people around them. But there, I would say in the main, most leaders are trying to do a good job but they haven't got all of the skills and they think by doing, doing, doing and helping get the team over the line is good leadership when, in fact, that also, whilst you're not as bad as the ego-driven leader, you're not allowing your own team to develop themselves and get themselves over the line because you're saving them all the time. So you may look externally as a good leader, but actually you're not because you need to let your team scuff their knees and learn and grow. And you've got to stop saving people because actually you're not saving them at all. You're harming their ability to grow. Which goes back to the psychological safety thing that you talked about early on in the podcast, like allow them the opportunity and the feeling that they can make mistakes, right? And that they can step out of their comfort zones and maybe stumble a little bit along the way, you know, that sort of thing. That's true, but also you create a culture where they don't need to. So they're not even afraid to step out of their comfort zone because they know you're going to save them. They know you're going to get that sale over the line. They know you're going to give them a lead. They know. So you've created this complacency in a team that knows that you're going to save the day no matter how much effort they put in. No, that, that, that's a tremendous point. That, that safety net, it just it can't, it can't be there, right? It's really, they call it a safety net, but really it's a, it's a very harmful thing. And, you know, you train your team how to treat you. And if you're always allowing them to not play 100%, then they won't. Well, Lee, this has been a tremendous discussion. This has been really insightful. I think our listeners, whether they are in individual contributing sales roles or they are in sales leadership roles or there's somebody that's aspiring into sales leadership in their career is going to take a lot from this. We've talked a lot about this, getting through those psychological barriers and those mental aspects that really make or break great salespeople and sales leaders, which again is is just, it's the central theme of this podcast. So you've really articulated it very well. I want to thank you so much for being with us here today. Oh, you're very welcome, Will. I could talk about this stuff for days. <laughs> we could. And, and don't be surprised if I come back to you to have you back on to continue this discussion at another time. 
For our listeners, thank you for being with us. I want to point out that Lee, who is also a very successful author, her most recent book is called Grow Your People, Grow Your Sales, A Leader's Guide to Creating a Growth Mindset Culture. And again, that book, I'm sure, reflects quite a bit on what we've been talking about here today. Lee's website, you can find her website at sales-consultancy.com. And you will also find Lee on Twitter at Lee Ashton 24-7. That's Lee, L-E-I-G-H. So at Lee Ashton 24-7. And of course, you will also find Lee on LinkedIn where you can follow her there. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you've taken quite a bit from this that you can apply in your roles and with your teams tomorrow. I'm sure you have. Lee, thank you again for being with us. Thank you for having me. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. And uh, we look forward to having you join us again next time. You've been listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment, and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.